Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. We are here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have Erica joining us this week. Shane uh, is not here. Uh, he is currently, I, I, it's Alex's birthday. We talked about this last podcast, so they actually were able to get away for a week. So uh, we're, we're pressing forward. Big shout out to uh, to Alex and her birthday. Of course. Happy birthday, Alex. And uh, and of course, this family tree. Go check that out. Hey, did you send a birthday uh, text to Alex? You know what? I didn't. I should have. Did you text her, Shane, uh, Max? I did. I did. Because I, I came to the realization this past winter, uh, my birthday is November 30th, I got a lot of text messages you know, from random people that I don't talk to regularly. But I was like, oh, that's so nice that people think to do that. And I told Ash, I was like, Ash, remind me whenever you see a birthday, tell me and I'll text text that person. So that's part of my sort of weekly to do now. Because I think it makes it a big difference. You know, people don't have a chance to feel really good about themselves that often, especially right now. So send that birthday text. That's what I'm saying. Very, very savvy move. I, now I feel bad. I, I want to say a genuine happy birthday to Alex on this podcast. I should have texted her. Maybe I don't text people. Erica, do you text everyone in your life when it's their birthday? If I see it on social media, like I did message Alex. I replied to this family Whoa. tree story. So I, I'm the only I'm- asshole. Well, I feel like if you're posting it on social media, it's an it's just an easy invitation to just swipe up and just say, hey, happy birthday, old buddy, old pal. So oh, I didn't see it either on social. I only knew about it from the, the pod. If I'd seen it on right. the, the social, I would have, you know, said it in real time. I I feel terrible now, guys. No, that's fine. Don't beat yeah, yourself it's up. It's, it's okay. And belated right. texts are fine, too. So it's never too late. It's not never too late. Like three weeks later, three months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, how's everybody been doing? What's everyone been up to? I feel like there's a lot going on, Max. I mean, you've been uh, teasing uh, this music video that's coming out. Mm. The video comes out on Thursday. We're recording this Thursday at 1 p.m. And the plan is to get, uh, the director, Mark Myers, your old friend and colleague. Love Mark. Uh, to come onto the pod. He'll probably come on next week and we could talk about the the experience of working together. But I adore Mark Myers. I think he did a spectacular job on the video. Very proud of it. Uh, the song is with Kayflay, who's a friend, who's also a former podcast. Yeah. It all feels very much in the family. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm thrilled for people to, to see it. Because this is like a song we've been sitting on for a minute and we're very excited about. So stay tuned for that. Next week, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it next week. So that's the tease. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, yeah. very exciting. But uh, I don't want to you know, just jump right into exciting news. Uh, but uh, I called Erica yesterday because I, I had a, uh, a question about my recording setup because I have this Apogee quartet. Is that your quartet, by the way? I don't know who this belongs to. No, Maxie, you, this, when we first started the pod, we were like, oh, how do we record a podcast? We need gear. And so you and I like went into Steve's music or something. I think someone yeah, had, I remember. someone told you that an Apogee was the way to do it. And I was like, I, I guess an Apogee. That seems like pretty heavy duty equipment. And you went in and, and you were just like, yeah, we'll take that. And you just bought it. And it was not cheap. You just bought the Apogee. You're like, yeah, let's just get it. We're making a podcast it's going to be great and uh and then it sat at my place and we did use it we went through the apogee into the laptop and all that and it is a very very nice piece of equipment uh and then eventually we went away from it because we started going directly into the zoom and then it still sat at my apartment in toronto uh. and then like a couple years passed and then finally i think i was moving on i'm like do you want your apogee back like i'm changing places and you're like yeah i'll take it back so now it is back in your possession but i did not buy it you did buy it originally for for the group who yeah was this invoice to anybody <laughs> this is one of these <laughs> i don't know how you must have invoiced it to, to david if time moves on have. enough then you're just like who is responsible for actually paying for it because you know my my move is always just like asking the accountants be like just throw it like you know invoice this person now that you mention it i think you absolutely sent the receipt to david and it came out of like the pod money maybe pod but it was pretty money, early yeah, so i don't know mm-hmm. so it might we might all own it who knows 
<laughs> Actually, speaking of that, uh, not to get too sidetracked, is I got um, a letter in the mail from a lawyer that I used, uh, I think, about seven years ago. My mom was bugging me to make a will. So I was like, I'll get the will process going because my mom's... <laughs> so and uh, I hired his really nice guy, uh, Howard Katz in Hamilton. And then I kind of just didn't follow up and the will never got done. <laughs> Uh, and I got a, a letter in the mail from Howard and I, and cause I haven't really communicated with Howard much in the last seven years and it was just a check for, or cash. No, it must've been a check for $750. I was like, why is this lawyer giving me money back? So what happened was, I guess I put him on retainer for a thousand dollars and then I only used them for $250 worth of that money. Like I clearly only talked for you one hour. Start the <laughs> yeah. So Howard, I'm thinking of doing this thing. And then you never brought it up again. After, so yeah. that was $250 conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway, God bless him. He just like sent a note being like, yeah, here's your money back. I'm like, it was very honest of him because I would not have <laughs> followed up after, like at all. Yeah, I lost track of that like a very, very Giving long time lawyers ago. a good name, Mr. Howard Katz. Yeah. But speaking of which, that was about a week ago. I don't know what I did with that check. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of that famous Ricky Henderson story. The, oh yeah, you know, Maxie, you tell, story, no, yeah. you tell him, Maxie. You, you uh, well, well, basically, Ricky Henderson, you know, the all-time leading base dealer in baseball, very like kind of flamboyant uh, player, very charismatic, very showy. He played like in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, he played on the ninety-three Blue Jays. Yeah. Had a long, great career. Basically, his accountant was like, "Ricky, we're missing a million dollars from from the bank account. It's kind of unaccounted for. Like, where is this? Do you have any clue where the money is?" Turns out that the check uh, that was given to him by the baseball club, like the Oakland A's or whoever it was, did not get cashed. He put it in a frame on his wall. <laughs> he hung up the check and never cashed it. <laughs> he never cashed it, which is great. That's strange. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, where was I going with this? Oh, the oh, apogee. What, you called oh, the apogee. Any, oh, so I so I called Erica. Audio. This is really bearing. <laughs> hey, we're going a long way around. <laughs> so, um, because I had a question about how to work it, uh, and Erica kind of walked me through it. By the way, Erica, I couldn't for the life of me get it to work again after I talked to you. Like I had it going, and then I lost it. And oh, my okay. relationship with recording technology is famously bad i am so i don't have any patience for figuring things out right. i get frustrated so easily it also makes me really tired the second i get frustrated i go i need a nap i just need to fall asleep this is like a condition i have so anyway erica i was able to, i eventually got to a point where i was able to start recording but i couldn't hear myself in the headphones i was like why can't i do it i was looking online i came back to it this morning there's a little like volume control. I just clicked it in and that was, the thing. Damn. <laughs> that was it. I just didn't, cause when you click it in, it mutes it and then you just unclick it. I'm so fucking stupid. Anyway, uh, Eric, I'm bearing the lead because I talked to you the other day. You gave me some sound advice uh, for what to do with this recording technology, but you had a little spring in your step and you seemed a little more excited than normal. Do you want to tell us why? Uh, you guys, I got the vaccination. Whoa! Hey, I know. Man, so first yes. vaccinated member of the podcast. Yes, yeah. there, oh, we're there's so happy Pfizer for in my body now. I feel good. <laughs> you got the good one. You got the. Is that the one so shot? They say, 
No, two shots. Two shots, um, okay. okay. So they changed the thingy, so I have to go back in like 100 days for the booster. But they say after the first shot, after two weeks of the first shot, you're like over 90% Holy vaccinated moly. or something like that. Um, and yeah, it was a great experience. My We went to the um, Indigenous Lodge Community Center, like in our in our neighborhood. Um, and my mom called them on Friday. We were watching. Also, this I have a... I have a point to this story as well. We were watching the six o'clock news on Friday night. They say they tacked it on to like the very end, like the last 10 minutes of the news. They were saying how the um, requirements change now and any like indigenous person and their entire household are now eligible for the vaccine. So my mom's like, oh, okay, like I'll call the, this lodge and like see if we can get our name on a list, whatever, whatever. So she called them, left a message. We expected like, I don't know, maybe we'll get it in two or three months. Who knows? They called her back in five minutes and they were like, yeah, you and your whole family can come in tomorrow afternoon if you're free. And we wow. were like, yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Okay. We will, be, we will there. be there. So we all went. My one, my sister's only 17. So I guess none of the vaccines right now are approved for anyone under 18. So she couldn't get it. Mm. But the rest of us did. And she's just um, like, like brooding. Is she just fuming, walking around the house, just looking at all of you? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I kept I kept being like, Sarah, is your arm sore the next day? She was like, shut up. But yeah, it was great. It was like so last minute and it was so just like such a relief, you guys. Like, honestly, like I just feel the last few days, it's like such a new lease on life. It's like I feel like this is the first step towards like post-COVID life. I cannot wait for you guys to get it. I cannot wait for everybody else, all of our frontline workers and everyone to just be vaccinated. You know, scary. my mom got uh, the vaccination because Good. she is my grandmother's primary caregiver. And just the difference in her spirit was notable. You know, that, like she just had a big smile on her face. She's just a lot more at ease. My dad's getting it because um, he's over, he's 75. Yeah. And he's getting it this Friday. Yeah. It is funny. Um, I find people asking about which one do you get? It's like, yeah. the, the, like the branding oh, yeah. of it yeah. is so funny. And it just kind of speaks to like our entire life. It's like, are those Nikes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, where are your seats? Yeah. Well, are, you, are you up in the 500s or are you uh, yeah. down the 100s? Yeah. yeah so, so basically the AstraZeneca, which is the Oxford one, that is the lowest one, right? People think that is the shittiest one. Well, I just, <laughs> I just read this morning, there's like headlines <clears throat> saying that maybe the um, results of the trial were inaccurate or something. So. And it's actually pretty good. I think that, that that's very positive for people that have got the AstraZeneca because I think it was like 75% efficacy rate, but basically they did another trial that basically showed it's like 99% uh, effective uh, for a, like um, life-threatening symptoms. God, it's yeah. 99% effective oh, uh, against, yeah. which is great. And I think the Johnson Johnson's the one-shotter, right? Yeah, is that, is that correct? So. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, my dad, so I think my dad's getting the Pfizer on mm. Friday and he mentioned he's going to get it at the Mars building at uh, college and university. Oh, yeah. And I was happened to ride by there today and there's a big line outside. Yeah. And so clearly people are waiting for it. And I fucking hate lines. I don't do lines. I would wait. How long would you wait, Mike, for, uh, in line for a shot? Oh, whatever it takes, you know, if eight hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got your phone. You got your podcast. Absolutely. Maybe I'd record a podcast in line, you know, I call in. I do feel I you know sometimes um if I'm driving around the city here in Hamilton I'll pass there's a there's a like a vaccination clinic it's like covid vaccination clinic they got this sign up like on the on the road it's it's like when I see it I I this kind of feeling comes over like me where I'm like 
Because sometimes, I, you know, like in my mind, you think you're in a movie or something like that. Like I'm in a science fiction movie over this la- the course of this last year. And it's like, oh, we're, we're at that part of the movie now. Like progress, like it's like progress. Ma- mm, like in a year we yeah. have this vaccine. And, I, you know, there was a time where I was like, I don't know, this could be years, you know. And then it's like now the sign is there. It's like, oh, like there it is. It, it exists. Like there's infrastructure. That's the vaccine clinic. And like one day I might be going there. And it's mm-hmm. like people are going there now. And it does give you this kind of sense of like all right, like we're in sort of what feels like the good part, knock on wood, you know what I mean? Nothing's guaranteed in this world, but it feels feels like we're on the upswing in such a sort of significant way. Yeah, there's also something kind of exciting about the timeline of this. I feel like most of life up to this point has been very structured when it comes to like corporate culture or just like, uh, you know, international events, like anything. You have a pretty good sense of like, okay, we're in the the first quarter and we have projections for the third quarter. Because of done, years done, of like, established sort of like like protocol and infrastructure. Exactly. It's just we know the, the rhythms. Yeah, but now it's been so fucking, it's such a roller coaster, right? Because it's like, oh, we're really behind. We're only vaccinating, you know, 10,000 people a day. And now it's like, okay, we're up to 100,000. And like, who knows what it'll be in two weeks. They're, they're, and, they're know, like, like, oh, we got to use these vaccines. There's spots on the list. Who wants to come by shoppers? Who wants to come by the Rexall and get, you know, get a shot? It's like, what? I won't be surprised that, you know, that's also, already happening. Uh, I, th- I think, I think oh, our friend Dan Hamilton sent like a, a thing where he basically, you can put yourself on like a standby list. Like, on the waiting list. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, There's a, there's a Rexall. Um, yeah. That I put myself on the waiting list for. Yeah. I mean, I, I have. I have I ticked off no to every possible question, which is like, are you at risk of this? Are you? I was like, no, 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 no. So I'm, I will be <laughs> yeah. the last person to be called, but yeah. I put myself yeah. on the list. That's good. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah. So anyway, we're so ex- excited for you, Erica, yeah. and just be able to, even you know, hugging my mom. My mom still does a weird hug with me where she, where I want to hug face. her goodbye. <laughs> yeah, no, she turns me around. She she takes me from behind. Mm. <laughs> And hugs me, <laughs> kind of. It's very strange, um, but it was it was awesome. My grandma, who's been basically stuck in uh, her old folks' home for the whole winter, she, she got she uh, she's double vaccinated now. And my Amazing. mom took her to the park, and she got to see her grandkids run around. And just she's ninety four, so just like seeing people, just the stimulation of being like outside comfortably with a bunch of kids running around is pretty fucking heartwarming. So. That is awesome. Anyway, uh, Mikey, uh, I talked to you the other day on the phone. Yes. By the way, I do like making phone calls. I think I'm resolved to be that person. Uh, you were, I think, were you driving in? Or I was on my way already? to Toronto. Yeah, I was doing the old like drive and talk. Maxi boy, what's and, up? And you had a little spring in your step. I did. Uh, because you were doing something a little new and different, at least if you were to compare it the last year. Uh, what did you do in Toronto? Mikey? I was getting out of the house. You did call. I, you know what, Maxie? I enjoy conversations with you because we we used to hang out like a couple times a week. We just downtown mm-hmm. Toronto. Let's meet up for for some wings and a beer. That doesn't happen anymore. It's like we basically do the pod, and then we're in like text groups and shit like that. But it's not the same. So I like when we actually get to chat for you know twenty minutes on the phone because we're you know you get into stuff. Uh, so you gave me a ring on my way into Toronto because I was uh, I was shooting like a spot. Shane and I wrote this uh, this thing, and then uh, I went out. And and, and directed it but it was so again it's just you're getting back on a set i had to stay in toronto for uh two nights so i was in a hotel you got me on my way to the hotel actually you're like where you staying i'm room like service i didn't do room service but i uber eats i lo- there's my favorite indian place oh. in toronto is called little india and me and danica when we lived downtown we're like we always like that was like my i love little india the butter chicken there yeah. and so on the thursday night like the after day one of the shoot i went back to the hotel and like march madness was on or whatever and i uber eats little india and i like oh. i sent danica a photo and she's like i'm i'm jealous but i'm so so happy for you right now because she could just tell i was like so excited to be 
out and amongst sort of, you know, the bustling crowd and, and things. Of that well, I think nature. one of the things that makes Danica a really good partner, she's very aware of what Mikey likey. <laughs> and you have, I think, uh, been a very diligent father, a diligent uh, husband, right. partner in the last year. And uh, I'm sure she appreciates that, but she also probably knows how it is deeply killing you to not do your Toronto things, you know, like go to the Raptors yeah, game, yeah. hang out of the pub with a friend. And you've been, so you've been deprived of that. So I'm sure she was beaming with happiness she for, was. For, for her fella. She yeah. was. Uh, but yeah, it was awesome to be on set and everybody was great. Uh, the actors we worked with, uh, but it, it, it's part of the construct of the bit. There was like a dog and there was a cat. So we actually had like professional, like wrangled dogs and cats come in to be in this thing big egos on those guys <laughs> <laughs> they, they always say don't work with like uh an- children and animals because you just there's no control there's no sense you know what i mean and it is so true like there's nothing sort of more for me sort of like tense than like we have the coverage of the dog and we need the dog to bark in a very specific way for the the bit to work but we also have like the actor who's sitting in and it's like what you hope is that the wrangler can like you can do it on cue you imagine oh it's like a stun dog but it's like it's still a dog and the dog's gonna sort of have its own rhythms and it could kind of bark a bit and you want it to anyway you're just sitting there and it's like 10 minutes has passed and you're kind of getting like a little bit antsy and then you're like, do I move on or do I wait till we get it? And does the dog need a break? You know what I mean? It's like, you're just, (laughs) yeah, you're just managing all of this stuff, but it turned out great. It all worked out good, but I was happy to like get out the house and like do some, some, some work amongst the people. Do you want to do more work with animals? Horses? I'd take, I'd take a pass. I've done a, (laughs) I've done a shoot with a deer once, a reindeer, twice, two shoots with a reindeer, but yeah, the reindeer just had to walk through the frame. So it wasn't like it had to like nod or bark or, you know, it just literally walked through the set, took a couple shits and then went home. Uh, (laughs) So that was my reindeer experience. Why are uh, kids so bad to work with? Well, because they're kids, like you can direct them a bit. Like actor kids though. Yeah, but they're not all Haley Joel Osmond. You know what I mean? It's Mm. like. Yeah, like, I mean, and depending on the age of the kid, like, actor kids, like, I don't know, if you're working with, like, a, a five-year-old, like, are you going to get what you... Like, anyway, I just think that it can be difficult. And sometimes their frame mm. of reference for performance, it might be hard to communicate that to a child. Like, I think it takes a certain oh, sure. skill set, you know? I am generally impressed, though, with, like, entertain entertainer kids that have the poise and the speaking ability of grown adults. We did, a, like, a a private zoom thing and the other day for a company and they had some like a this this kid this young it seemed like a younger person on and who was a singer but she was being interviewed before she performed and i was like oh this person like seems like maybe in university like very smart very like kind of like media camera ready the kid was 11 wow. <laughs> i was like what the fuck <laughs> i was like i was blown away anyway um that's good though, Mikey. I'm very happy. It's good times. Nice to get out of the house, you know? All right, let's get to some topics. Actually, before we get to topics, Erica, you put uh, in the message group <laughs> that you were like, can we talk about Joe Rogan? The floor yeah, is yours. I, I'm, I'm into this. Yeah, I, the floor is yours. Well, this is a media podcast because we're, we're here to dissect what is happening in right. media culture. Right, and this is just like... Um, a critique and feel free anyone listening to dispute me on this, but I fucking hate Joe Rogan. And this is why he, I don't hate Joe Rogan as much as I hate 
cis white dudes who listen to Joe Rogan and think that because mm. they listen to Joe it's Rogan, not the band, it's their fans. Pretty much, like they think they listen to him. They think they're like super woke. And since mm. Joe Rogan rides this line of like I'm centrist, I'm I'm in the middle. I'm like neither here nor there. They think that they're like getting both sides and they're like so fucking woke. But then Joe Rogan goes off about how like obesity is like a disgusting thing. And if you're obese, you you can only be obese if you have a food addiction and yada, yada, yada. And he says all this offside shit all the time. And I'm just sick of it. So that's all I have to say (laughs) about that, really. And you um, (laughs) obtained this information because clearly you don't listen to the show off uh, the other notable social media handle six buzz which is a conversation in itself (laughs) well okay i will say actually there was a phase in my life where i gave him a shot and i listened to a few episodes like here and there none of his like super noteworthy like acclaimed episodes but like and like some of them are good he's a good interviewer he's not bad he lets his guests speak curious guy i suppose he's a curious guy he listens to them he hears them out it's just like yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Six Buzz today posted this clip uh, that um, was from like three years ago, and he's just like going off about obesity and how it's disgusting and yada yada. And um, I, I sort of got sucked in, and I thought it was recent. I thought it was a recent clip, and so I was like, hmm, like raging about him. Like, who still says that nowadays? But turns out it's actually from 2018. But still, uh, okay. but and I feel like Six Buzz does this sometimes, and they kind of like rekindle old stuff. So. That's a whole other thing. Is like the also, yeah. The <laughs> caption for Six Buzz was, "What are your thoughts on this?" Is hashtag Joe Rogan the goat, uh, being a, or being a little too harsh here? Uh, I think that's what it, <laughs> nothing engages also, people quite like the outrage machine. And clearly, they this like let's find a clip from four years ago and fire that up, and then it's going to get people. I mean, I've never seen you angrier than right now, uh, Erica. That was quite a rant. So clearly, it worked in in like stoking the passions. Mm-hmm. yeah i don't know and i i think I, yeah like i remember that clip going around like before and stuff and it's just like i don't know what do you guys think was that too harsh like if i one day like i know i'm in the podcasting field i'm young in my career did i just like fuck a lot of shit up for myself or what no 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 i think it's a totally fair take also i will say though i find having these com- conversations these sort of nuanced conversations are really hard because any wrong quote could be taken completely out of context oh yeah because um, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin because if you just like took the transcript because uh, okay for instance if I am to say you know I think Joe Rogan is interesting because he has a wide range of guests on which makes him a little bit different than a lot of the other media silos you see I think that is an objectively fair statement I think one of the problems with with the way media is consumed now is that people get in their own little um with the bubbles, um, what do you call those things? Uh, the, the echo chamber? Uh, echo chambers, that's what I'm going to say. And then you, they only kind of hear chamber? one thing. Yeah, echo chamber. No, I just did an echo. Oh, sorry. I was like, are we having, is there a, uh, an issue with the Zoom link here? Um, but even in saying that first part of the quote, I think Joe Rogan is an interesting commentator. Like, Max Kerman says Joe Rogan's an interesting commentator. It's like, okay, well, what the fuck was the point? And which is why podcasts, though, are, are generally good because you can have these longer form ideas. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, do we, start, do we start with Joe Rogan or Six Buzz? What do you want to talk about first? <laughs> just Let's just roughly, just the tip of the iceberg of Joe Rogan. What are your thoughts? Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, Joe Rogan is is probably um one of the only 
maybe I'm wrong here, but one of the only interviewers that that talks to people on the far left and far right, and for that in, in itself, and he gives people sort of the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes he she shouldn't, but I think the 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 tenor of a lot of his conversations uh, is is generally curious and open minded, and I generally appreciate that because I think it allows for nuance in conversations when you don't have to be as defensive when you're talking about your point. And maybe it is more humanizing because people uh, have a lot of different layers to them. And it, when when you go into an interview where it's like just combat, you don't get the nuance of people's background and their ideas. So I So for that, I think Joe Rogan can be a useful interviewer. That said, do I think Joe Rogan is too lenient on some of his guests? Yes. Do I think that you know Joe Rogan probably says things that are offside, like the thing Eric is mad about? Of course. Um, but do I think that he is appealing to a much wider base than the more high-minded podcasts that I listen to? Yes. I think he actually is able to be the guy at a dinner party that nine out of 10 people would want to actually hang with and talk their ideas with, where I think a lot of the people that I listen to, if you brought them to a dinner party, they'd be like, that guy's fucking annoying. Nine out of 10 people might go, that person, I don't want to hang out with that person. Like that person thinks they're better than me. That person thinks they're smarter than me. And I'm not going to listen to anything that person says because they rub, rub me the wrong way. Even if that person, I don't know, that New York Times columnist, whoever, some some smart Ivy League educated person is is probably correct in a lot of ways, they, are just, they can be off-putting uh, in a way that alienates the average person. And I'd consider myself the average person. So I, I always I always think about like the, the dinner party. If, you, if you're at a dinner party with 10 random people from 10 random walks of life, who would be the person that would connect people the most? And and you'd probably put Rogan ahead of a lot of people. That, that's all. What, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think that Joe Rogan is undeniably populist entertainment. He, he, it's, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, ultimately. Like, look at his listenership, look at his followers, all of that stuff. I actually, I, I don't, I, th- I don't, I think I maybe listen to like half of one Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, by the way, I don't listen to Joe Rogan yeah. regularly, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, and, and it's not like, it's not because I'm taking a stand. I just haven't, like, there's just only so much time in the day. Uh, but I, I understand sort of like, I, I've, I've read and listened to the arguments and sort of like all sides and why people find him problematic uh, and then why people defend him. Um, yeah, I, I guess I don't I don't feel passionate one way or the other about the way he operates, mostly because I guess I'm not looking too hard at sort of his op- operation. Um, but as far as that... Clip, what do you think of my media critique of Joe Rogan, though? I think you nailed it. I mean, I think that this has like sort of been the argument sort of for like populists in general. Like one of the reasons that Trump resonated so much is because he didn't make people feel stupid and there's a lot more people sort of in the middle and sort of like that are just trying to go about their lives and earn a living and sort of just like they're not they they don't want to be burdened it's not that they're not capable of thinking too deeply about the world's issues it's just that like they're just focusing on like I got to get food on the table and I got to get my kid to bed on time. And all of these sort of like these things in the hierarchy of sort of concerns um, that come first it's like I think that the the appeal is that 
they're not being talked down to. And in so many other facets, they, it's, it's like, wait a second, why, why aren't you, why don't you care about world hunger? And it's like, it's not, it's not that I don't, but it's just like, and I know that it's even a privilege to not to have to worry about certain issues like racial, you know, injustice and all of these things, but these are heavy things. And I think, I think that sort of the appeal of people like maybe, maybe Rogan is also like, it's, you know, he obviously does a lot of the both sides, the what aboutism, what about this? What about that? And sometimes those arguments are, they resonate, but maybe don't hold up to sort of heavy scrutiny. You know what I mean? Like, so for instance, the clip that Erica uh, referenced, Joe Rogan, essentially, he says that um, nobody looks at obese men and says, uh, oh, they're beautiful in their own bodies. They're beautiful in their own skin. He goes, uh, but then we do that for women. You know, it's like, I guess, and I don't know who the you or who the we is, but he's basically like, we don't glorify uh, obese men, yet we we glorify obese women and say, you know, we have to let them feel comfortable in their skin. Now, like, I guess, like, right on that argument, like, just like, whatever you go, ah, there's, that's kind of interesting. You know what I mean? It's like, how many campaigns have we seen with heavier set men, you know, like in ads and stuff like that, which is what we're trying to do and sort of like, um, you know, I guess, uh, destigmatize all body types and take away sort of the judgment and the shame. The thing about his argument though, is it's like, we're not like, he's talking in such extremes. It's not like just Mm -hmm. obese or like these like major health issues or whatever. We're talking like, like medium to large body sizes and the way that people are like, Hey, like maybe that, maybe that person isn't like, you know, in your judgment, sort of eating like crazy. Maybe they are actually like dieting, but still that's just the way that their body sort of reacts and sort of is going to develop naturally. It's like, that's the sort of like the nuanced middle that we're trying to sort of change for the better. And it's not necessarily like uh, women are getting a free pass and we still think heavy men are disgusting. I think on the surface, like, yeah, you go, okay, I guess that argument, like you can get fired up and be like, yeah, that is true. But I think the more that you look at it, you go, no, it's like, we're just basically saying in general, we're trying to make it better so that everybody in every ad isn't like a super thin, whatever we sort of have like taught ourselves to think is beautiful. Like that's the whole point of the movement. And then he sort of like boils it down to sort of like, um, a catchy hooky arguable point which is like what great songwriters do it's what smart like sort of like entertainers like he's a podcaster that's that's what he needs to do right look at he got he got he got clipped on that and it is it is generated countless conversations it's coming back around for a second go it's getting a fucking encore it was 2018 and it's getting an encore that's how sticky he is that's how good he is at finding these sort of like divisive sort of like little like think triggers where you go Hmm. Oh, but like, Joe, you know, he's good. Like good. He is, I guess, at his job. But I think it's so bad for those kinds of like conversations to even like trickle out of his podcast. And it's like when he, when he has like two and a half hours long episodes, like you don't have to paint these things so black and white. And I feel like since his audience is so big and so broad, like seeing a little clip like that, it just infuriates me that he's even like. It's like this is the cross you want to die on, Joe Rogan. Like this is where you're sitting on this. Like like. I don't know. It just it makes me just feel like it discredits him a little bit to see him like almost done. It's not that this is a frivolous topic, but like it clearly doesn't really affect him. He clearly has a bit of like uh, like a problematic opinion on it and painting it in black and white like that is so problematic in like popular discourse. And like that's what irks me with him. You know what I mean? Is like these kinds of topics that he just like tries to find like that hooky little thing to like cause a little controversy and then it's like it just yeah drives me crazy he's super into like health uh so i want so i imagine this is a thing that he has um 
yeah, like his opinion is maybe stronger on because he's always talking about like health and fitness and diet and all that stuff. Um, but also, I mean, this is the other problem with like taking these little clips because I, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I but he strikes me as also the kind of guy that if you were to say that to him, Erica, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. Too. You know what I mean, like yeah. he doesn't seem to be so strong willed that he can't be convinced, you know, or what Mike said about like, no, the reason why we're talking about this is that, you know, for decades, there's been unfair standards when it comes to like female bodies. Like, so, so like, and he'd be like, oh yeah, you know, so I'm not saying he, he'd certainly say that, but I'd say he strikes me as the kind of guy that could be, his his mind could be changed. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about um, how siloed our our world is now, depending on where you live in this virtual reality. Are you hanging out on Instagram? Are you hanging out on TikTok? Are you on Twitch? Are you on a Reddit board? And how that really shapes your worldview. And finding a common truth is something that I find to be a very interesting subject right now, because we have the news and in Canada, I find like, you know, we generally either watch, you know, city TV or CTV or global. And they're all generally kind of in the middle of saying the same good reporting, saying the same thing. And I am grateful for that. But you see people living in different realities, you know, and this is a, a lot of the problem, I think, in the States where people like truly think that the election was stolen because they're on a, a Facebook message group and Donald Trump and his supporters are, are saying this over and over again. Um, so back to this idea of Joe Rogan being a populist commentator, I think as far as populist commentators go, compared to Donald Trump, I find him to be a little, a better a better version than Trump, obviously, but not the, like, I'm, I guess the question for our listeners or for you is like, who is the best, who would be the best person to be like the voice of the people? Because any anybody that's a little too highbrow would alienate a lot of people, and and I and so and you and you know one of the most popular Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts in Toronto is Six Buzz. I fucking think Six Buzz is so ratchet. I, I followed it, and then I just couldn't because the content was just like made me feel like shit and seeing all the comments made me feel like shit but it also reminded me like oh there's a lot of people that love this conversation and this is the tenor of the conversation and it is a reality that this is the way people like to talk and think so like is joe rogan the person to have this sort of wider conversation with people and i would and i would guess like i kind of want to say like if i had to choose anybody to lead the conversation uh, in that very wide way Maybe it's Rogan because at least Rogan can be sensitive sometimes and can be sort of enlightening and can show compassion and empathy for people. Um, it, by the way, if we're up to me for the record, it would be like, I don't know, Michael Lewis or some other thinker, writer who can relate to people. But I think a lot of people would be like, I don't want to listen to that fucking guy who wrote Moneyball. You think Moneyball appeals to me? It doesn't. Like Moneyball actually, or The Big Short, or any of these other Michael Lewis books have been turned into Hollywood movies, actually probably only appeal to 14% of the population. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it seems in our world, it's 100% of the population, but in the wider demographic, it's not that big. So anyway, Mike, like it, who who is a person that speaks to everyone? I used to think Springsteen would on a music level, but even he's a pretty far to the left. I bet you he pisses off a lot of middle right right people uh anybody come to mind in terms of just like a commentator that you think is is great i think that it's an antiquated thought i don't think that one person could speak for anybody anymore i think that you're right i think that right. we've you know we talk about monoculture all the time like 
you know, we used to consume media or ideas or thoughts usually through like, um, like the more like broad lens of like, tell, we'd all watch like the series finale of a TV show. Everyone watch it. Now it's like nobody, everybody does, everyone kind of finds their own thing. This is sort of the beauty, uh, but also sort of like the, I guess, depressingly like fracturing um, effect of social media, of the internet, of being able to find what you want. It's like, you know, there's 5 million bands you could listen to right now, but there's also 5 million bands you can listen to right now. So, you know what I mean? It's just like, I feel like one person speaking for the large majority has become, I don't know if it's, I think it's become untenable. Like, yeah, could Bruce Springsteen represent the people? Can any band, you know, can any, can any podcaster that has a point of view, like the only way to sort of appeal to everyone is probably not to have much of an opinion. And then you sort of appeal to no one. So it's like almost like focus on the people that love you and fuck the rest and, and, and you stick to your guns. And then that's the way to sort of, you can sleep at night. I think. Yeah. This is what makes Rogan so interesting though, is that because, you know, if you watch Fox news, they're really just talking to people on the right. If you, if you watch CNN, it's the conversation is mostly people middle to the left. Um, and why I always found it really interesting when Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg went on Fox, because I think it was actually really effective and it humanized those guys because otherwise they're just known as like the, you know, the liberal villains. But when they actually had a chance to talk and have like a real conversation with people on Fox News, uh, I think the viewers were like, oh, I actually kind of like Pete Buttigieg. Oh, I, oh, Bernie Sanders actually seems like a sensible guy. Um, but yeah, I wonder, it's, it's because I guess my concern is that somebody else who... <laughs> who appeals to like these sort of like uncouth um, conversations that you see on six buzz or get like a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of those kinds of internet personalities or podcast personalities to be completely untenable and completely trash <laughs> where I think Rogan mm -hmm. actually for all of his faults actually has like a good faith interest in in having interesting conversations and and you know that because you know he, he comes from the world of stand-up comedy like he is he's been surrounded by comics that come from every walk of life and he spends five nights a week at or he did at one point in his life at the comedy cellar hanging out with dave Chappelle, chris rock bill burr all of these great thinkers that commentate on society and so for that reason i give him maybe a little bit of rope because you know that that's where it comes from and and the guests are not just one thing so anyway it really sounds like i'm defending rogan i'm not i just think that the the conversation of who who should be the person to lead a wider more populous conversation is an interesting one and i don't know if i can think of a better person than rogan it that also just, no but you know what though? i can think it also fractures because how many women listen to Rogan? I'd like to know sure, that. That's, that's like true. those, that, that's very those true. splits that's very really true. matter. Like so, or people Rogan of has, color. I'd exactly. be curious to know. Yeah. So it's like, and 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 so so uh, so it's like our women, our our people that that's are underrepresented. True. Are they going other places to hear their voice? Because I don't. Rogan's probably not their voice. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, like Rogan has whatever thirty million people listening but it's like it's maybe a very specific type of person i i don't know the answer i don't know his demos I, demographics i don't know any of that stuff but when you say like did, Spring, did springsteen speak for you know like yeah so he spoke for like these sort of blue collar workers trying to get out when you know and it's like there's something really nice about that but then also he appealed to the elites that want to sort of like think about that playground even though they never had to actually like deal with that kind of shit and mm -hmm. and it's like but then also it's like but we're like you know yeah, I, I just, I very much wonder, like, and how come, like, who's the most popular 
woman podcaster and can she can she lead all of us like you know in in this sort of like idea that you have about who's going i to think lead. michelle obama actually is more popular than barack her book sold a lot more yeah and and i think she i mean oprah is another one that i think appeals to a lot of different kinds of people i think you know what maybe oprah is the answer who's the person that kind of appeals to both the average Joe and the average lady. I don't know. It's a, hey, listeners, if you have any thoughts on this, um, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear them. If, if there's people that we're missing or people I should be listening to that. Because here's the thing is that, you know, if, if you were to see my my personal media consumption, it's, it's, I mean, it's obviously like a lot of sports, but the politics stuff, you know, it's all sort of like, you know, New Yorker, Washington Post, Guardian, Globe and Mail, uh, the occasional Substack, and yeah, so that that's the stuff I'm reading. But I'm I'm kind of curious to know. It's like, yeah, is there is yeah? I th- but I think to your point, Mike, I think this idea is probably antiquated in itself, and that we're just living in a time where there won't be a common truth, and everybody lives in their own little echo chambers or their own siloed media kind of uh, community ecosystem, and and I think that and that just depresses me. I think I think I think there is uh, there is and there always should be time for like your more specific niche interest in life but the fact that we don't have a common truth anymore uh kind of upsets me yeah you took the words right out of my mouth that's what i meant to say at the beginning of my joe rogan um speech you just said a, no, little, I, a little more eloquently <laughs> no 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 erica i'm glad you brought it up no i'm really glad you brought it up But uh, let, let's let's keep it rolling. Okay, let's uh, let's go to. Do you want to do blind in the mind? Yeah, let's do that. This is uh, this is kind of like uh, this topic might, I guess, warning. It might fuck with you a bit uh, if you happen to fall into this category. But essentially, there's this uh, article out um, on theconversation.com, and the headline is "Blind in the Mind: Why Some People Can't See Pictures in Their Imagination," and the crux of the piece is essentially that I guess they discovered that there are certain people who don't, um, they can't visualize things in their mind. They almost intellectualize them. So like if, if I were to say, okay, picture like an apple um, in your mind, you're like you picture, I say picture a red apple, you picture a red apple. Maybe you pictured green, whatever your mind would have done. But you kind of see this like 3D apple. I can say, what does the top look like? You can say, oh, it's like, maybe it's bruised. Maybe it's perfectly shiny. But you're describing something that I imagine because I only have my own perspective and, and didn't really think about this too much. I imagine you see the apple the way that I see the apple or the way that I remember something that happened in grade seven. It plays like a movie in my mind's eye. I can I can see dancing to Hero uh, by Mariah Carey with Andrea Biago. I can I can I remember being in that basement at that grade seven house party and I see it like the way I would remember a scene from Freaks and Geeks or something some movie I saw years ago. This is saying that there are people who and I don't know what percentage of people are, but they don't remember it that way. They, they sort of like, if you say like, hey, can you picture a beach? It's like they know a beach, you know what I mean? But it's almost like um, their mind's eye doesn't see it the way that you would imagine it. Now, when you guys read this, did either of you think, holy shit, uh, I'm not visualizing these things in the way that I thought everybody was? I think um, I don't have a problem with the idea of like red apple beach, I can get myself there visually in my mind. Um, but it did make me think about my my memory and how I think I have a, in some ways a terrible, terrible, terrible memory. It's getting worse. But in other ways, I'm a good um, 
visual planner of certain things, um, specifically related to Arkell's like show production things. Like I can visualize, I can map things out in my head um, in a way that I think makes me a little different, slightly better than most people when it comes to that specific thing. But I'm very bad at remembering like, you know, if you were to ask me in an hour, Mike, like, oh, do, do you have, do you know what I was wearing? Was I wearing a hat? Was I wearing, was I wearing a hat on the pod? Yeah. I, I would, I know you are now because, and I'll remember that because we're having a conversation <laughs> about it. But I would normally, I would have like, I could not tell you. Like, could you, could I tell you, you know, I went for a walk with manager Ash this morning. Could I tell you what she was wearing? Oh, okay, I think she was wearing a Raptors jacket. But typically I don't remember. Yeah, but like, what like, 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 it's more about the way that it plays back. So, like, remember when we shot the, uh, when we were planning for the rally, the 2020 rally, and we shot yep. that bit with Nick Nurse. So it's like mm-hmm. when I think of like showing up to the practice facility and we're about to shoot, I remember waiting in the parking lot uh, to meet up with you guys and then we were going to go and shoot. And I remember Kyle Lowry, like he came out of the practice facility and he got in like a big like sprinter van that was going to probably drive him wherever he had to go. But like I see him walk out. I see like his dark hoodie. I see his dark, you know, jogging pants. I see him get into the van. Um, I see it play like a movie the same way that I see the actual skit that we put online. Like it, it exists there in a very 3D physical way. Do your memories work that way? Mm, I think they do. Interesting, Erica. Do you, do you do yours? It's hard to just, it's hard to say yes or no. Like I think certain things like that might stand out to you, Mike, because it was like an exceptional moment in your life or whatever. Is maybe the first time you had ever been there. You love Kyle Lowry, whatever. But like, I don't know. Maybe like, like, do you remember like? a morning that you had with like Winona, like three months ago. You know what I mean? Like, do those play out the same thing? Things that tend to be a little more mundane. No. If someone says like, like, do you remember the early days of Winona? Like I can go back and I remember like walking her around to sleep her like at Metro hall. I remember doing circles like in the the empty food court on Saturday mornings. And I, I I see it as if I filmed it. Um, Now maybe that, maybe that's, that's actually maybe an extreme version. That's my mind's always kind of been that way. I've talked about that before, but I guess like in this article, you know, they really describe an inability to see the past as like a, a highlight reel that I, I think it's like a very sort of like the study is sort of new and ongoing at this point. Do you think it has something to do with the amount of time people now spend thinking about the past? Like, I think like since we have smartphones, we're documenting everything like we might not have to hmm. like like intellectualize the past as much anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Just kind of happens. It happens. And you know, you can always look back at it on your smartphone. So you maybe don't have to like think about this concert for weeks after tell all these people about this concert for weeks after, like it was on your story and people know you went and like, that's it. That's all. Like you don't have to bring it up at work on Monday or something like that. You know what I mean? I don't know. I I feel like smartphones might have something to do with it. Like you're almost remembering, Mm. you're remembering the clip or the photo on Instagram. You're not remembering the memory. Yeah, like it just like the way we document stuff now is right. so much more different, right? Than than it was like twenty years ago. Also, I think we're probably processing more yeah. too as well. I think there's like just the amount of images and words and videos that that we're watching on a daily basis is just a significant. Then you probably more. chuck way more. It it probably all gets deleted quickly from your your brain. Y- yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's short term, and like they talk about like yeah, like the social media the social media it's killing our attention span now and stuff like that too i feel like that all has long-term effects on your memory probably like i think attention span is very connected to your your memory i, I have a 
our friend John John Popolis, uh, who co-hosts the Pedestal, with us. he is a Mensa member. He has a theory uh, that he's been t- he shared with me a couple years ago, but I think is I think it's an interesting theory, and his theory is that social media, like the way that we look back now on smoking, we know smoking's bad, and we look back and we go, Jesus, we knew it was bad as far back as like you know like 1968 or something, and then we still kind of just kept doing it through the 70s and through the 80s and through the 90s, and then finally they started to not let you do it in bars in like the early 2000s or whatever it was. It's like, and now we look back and we go like, obviously it's bad for you. He thinks that mm-hmm. in 15, 20 years, we're gonna look back at this era of social media and it's and we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna view it the same way that we view smoking as something that's so obviously yeah. detrimental to your mental health and your well being that it seems weird that we ever sort of just consumed it so mm. lightly. So and so willy nilly and and so much of it. It's also likely that we just keep evolving and it builds on top and builds on top. And this, this is, this is the, the machine changes. We change, right? Like we, we adapt to the way social media is and it changes, you know, the way our brains work and the way that we sort of perceive things. And then we just continue on and there is no great reckoning. Like, I don't know what the end point is. Is it that we stop using social media? Is it that, like, I don't, I just don't know. Like, cause obviously for smoking, you go, well, you don't smoke, right? Like, it's just like, it's a lot, it's less. It feels more physical uh, than something like social media that is sort of like now become a part of not only like like your life, but business. Business, Max, a huge part of your business. Like in the past, it's like, oh, he's a musician. He writes songs. You know, if you're CCR, you write great hits. You go out and you play them and you go to sleep at night, you know, after drinking a bunch. Now it's like you're sort of this fully functioning 360 media company. And that's just part of being a band in 2021. Yeah. And so it's like if social media were to go away, like it's too intertwined now. So I don't know where it goes from here. Yeah. Well, to, to John's point, I completely, completely agree. I think, uh, you know, you, you've probably seen this anecdote on social media. I think I've seen it for the last few years where it's like, did you know that um, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, they don't allow their children to be on social media at all? Because they know it's the worst fucking thing in the world for you. It's like the smartest people, the biggest tech giants that are responsible for the world that we live in right now, absolutely do not allow their own children to be on screens for more than like, you know, half an hour a day. It's like, and, and so they, they know they, they have the research of just how powerful that stuff is. So I do think that, um, monitoring screen time, I know we talk about this. I feel like uh, this has been on the pod. It's just like trying to get off our screens and trying to have more real life moments because it fucks with your brain in a weird way. So I do, I, I really hope that's where it goes. Obviously iPads can help with education and there's like obviously useful benefits to, um, to technology, but I think less is probably better. And we're going to end to John's point. We're going to look back on this, um, this time as like, wow, we were really going overboard. I hope at least. Um, yeah. When it comes to, um, I mean, this is just like, I think specific to me, but I think one of the reasons why I have sort of the optimism and confidence that I do to, to take on new ideas is that I don't think about what happened before. Like my memory is very <laughs> short uh, when it comes to all the failures. Like, and I think, you know, you sometimes uh, hear that about like Steph Curry, like he just, what makes him a great shooter is that even if you missed 12 shots in a row, he really thinks he's going to hit the 13th yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I feel like I don't uh, harbor losses. Uh, I forget them. I honestly could not even tell you of all the ideas that I've had this week, 
probably they were all rejected. You know, I, I pitched stuff to Ash. I pitched stuff to other people. I'm always thinking about things that we want to do. And I couldn't tell you any of them that were given a thumbs down, but I, but I kind of hold on to the wins and that kind of keeps me going. So that's just luck of uh, luck of my disposition by birth <laughs> that, I, that I'm like that. It's a great like natural thing to have. Like you said, your disposition, like in Erica, I'd be interested to know because for me, like I value, like I certainly don't hold on to losses in a detrimental way. What I find though is emotionally the dopamine hit of a win is so fleeting. It's like, it's like, it's like, say you do like you direct a commercial and then it's like, everybody's like, holy, like you killed it. You get all the, the, the nice things that you want, the accolades, everything that you, you hope to get. And not just from like the people that or, you know, at the top, but it's like people that you respect that also make commercials and they're like, oh yeah, that choice there was great. You know, those kinds of like things. You get all that stuff that you kind of hope that you want to get out of creating anything. To me, that is like, it's like, I love it in the moment, of course, but that like, I can't, I can't live on that. It's too fleeting. But then on the other hand, the, the losses, like, like when something goes bad, that like that impact, I think is just like, that's one that you you'll, you'll, you kind of, you feel it in your gut. It just lasts longer. And I think it's this wildly unfair thing that it's like, it's like, Oh, like I remember playing a showcase with the band and you know, the bass wasn't plugged in and it was like, it was like, it wasn't even a disaster, but it was fucking disaster. And so I, that one, like I think, I just think negative experience sticks with you, or at least with me far more viscerally than positive, even though I feel like I've been very fortunate in my life. I've had far more wins than losses. I think that the losses just, they just, I don't know, man, they, it's a negative, a negative sort of memory, I think just has more ability to sort of like sit than a positive memory. And you seem to have this opposite thing, Max, uh, when it comes to that equation. Yeah. There's only a couple things where I go, Oh God, that's fucking brutal. Think about Oh God. (laughs) Oh, it's like, Oh, I just can't, I can't even talk about it. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, But for the most part, it's, it's pretty, uh, yeah, I just don't, I honestly just don't remember them at all. And Erica, where do you net out on that? Well, I'm curious, Mike, do you consider yourself a perfectionist? I think when I'm in something, I care so much about shit that doesn't matter. I really, and I've gotten better as I've gotten older where I'm like that fight about this weird, minute thing. I've realized now after many projects and many different sort of like pursuits that that thing doesn't matter in, in a month from now or even a week from now. So like if I'm in the moment, I certainly can be very like, not I, perfection is a strong word, but I'm like hyper-focused and I can like, I'll frame fuck something. Um, but after it's done, after it's delivered, I, I, I'm out. Like I'm out. I don't like, I won't think, Ooh, that shot. I really needed a better shot. It's like once it's done in my brain, it's baked and I don't revisit that choice. Why? What about you? I just find that people, yeah, the overthinkingness can sometimes be caused by perfectionism and like thinking like, Oh, I should have done this instead of that or what, what have you like Max, do you, are you a perfectionist? Yeah. What do you, I was going to flip the question. Do you guys think I suffer from perfectionism? I would guess not. I would think you wouldn't. <laughs> no, and only, no, but only because, only because you say that you're, you're so, you can get rid of those like fuck up so easy. Like you're you right. just you're move on d- from it. And so you don't like twiddle your thumbs and like harp over it. And I just think that's probably why. Mike, do, do you think I, do you think I suffer from perfectionism? No, I don't. I don't. I th- I think I think you okay, there's a there's a way to split it. I think that you have a baseline of yo, like I if I know this element is great, 
I know that matters than the 10 elements below it. So it's mm. like, I just, I just have to like, I think you're very good at being like, I just know I have to hit the last three pointer to win the game. And then mm. everything that happened in the game up to that point doesn't really matter that much. So I can't sweat it. So I think if that analogy mm-hmm. makes sense, I think yeah. you can apply that to like, oh, the song is great. So it's like most elements are there, but it's like, am I going to fuck around with like a horn? Like, am I going to fight somebody over this? I think you have the ability mm-hmm. to just like, yeah, mm-hmm. keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, you're Does, totally is right. that accurate? Yeah, well, you know what? That'll be a good tease uh, for next week's episode <laughs> when we talk to Mark Myers about the making of the new hit single, You Can Get It, and all the dumb shit that Mark was fighting for <laughs> on next week's episode of the Mike Gone Much Podcast. 